Welcome to Debating Metal. I'm your host, Kenneth Dean, the Dean of Metal. Along with my co-host, Chris Kay, we discuss and dissect the songs, albums, and bands of the music we are most passionate about, heavy metal. So sit back, relax, turn it up to 11, and let the debate begin. Hello and welcome to Debating Metal, the podcast where we discuss and dissect the hard rock and heavy metal bands we all know and love. I'm your host, Kenneth Dean, the Dean of Metal, along with my co-host, Chris Kay. Today, we're heading to the dark side as our discussion focuses on the early years of death metal. We'll be discussing the evolution of the genre and the bands that started it all. We'll be talking about the bands that started the genre, such as Death, Possessed, Massacre, Morbid Angel, and more. Then at the end of our debate, we'll give you our big four songs by my favorite band, Death. So stick around to hear which songs we chose. And once again, we'll have some Rusty Metal for you and a new online pick of the week. Rusty Metal is where I take a look into the archives and pick out an album I think is worth giving a spin on the old turntable, CD player, or stream it like it's hot. And Chris offers up a recommendation on an online pick of the week, which is usually a YouTube channel or a cool website. So while you're listening to our weekly picks, click the subscribe or follow buttons on your favorite podcast platform and get our latest episode delivered to your preferred device every Friday so you don't miss anything we had to say or recommend. We also want to interact with you guys and read your opinions. So if you like what we had to say or just want to rip us a new one, send us an email to debatingmetal at gmail.com or DM us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And while you're on our social media pages... Be sure to check out Kenneth Dean with Rusty Metal Plus, where he gives more details about his weekly Rusty Metal pick. So, Kenneth, what's your Rusty Metal this week? All right, Rusty Metal this week. uh, We're heading back to 1984, and it is Slayer with the Haunting the Chapel EP. It was released on Metal Blade Records. It was produced by Brian Slagle, and it was engineered by Bill Metoyer. Uh, I think that's how you say his name. And the reason why I'm singling him out is because Bill's apparently a Christian. And at the time, he thought that recording the vocals for Slayer with the anti-religious themes would end up getting him sent to hell when he when he died. It was a really weird thought. But he ended up being wow. part of the, the, the Slayer organization or, or the Metal Blade organization for all these different bands for quite some time. So it's, it's funny how... Uh, how the mind thinks when it comes to religion and stuff like that. (laughs) Or the EP was recorded at Track Record Studios in North Hollywood, California. Now, this EP was my first exposure to Slayer. Becoming a Metallica fan a a short while after that, basically, after the the release of this, because I became a Metallica fan in 85. So that was my first exposure to Thrash and all that stuff. And then slowly but surely, bands like Slayer and Anthrax and Megadeth came along. I ended up picking up this before Rain, obviously before Rain and Blood came out, but this was the first thing I got from Slayer, and I really, really dig the Chemical Warfare song that's on here. I dig Captor of Sin. Uh, it's a three-track EP featuring those two songs along with Haunting the Chapel, and what's funny about those um, the, the three-track EP is that later reissues, they added a song called Aggressive Perfector, which had been previously available on the Metal Massacre 3 series, uh, or excuse me, the Metal Massacre series, and it was Metal Massacre 3 that, that the song was featured on. 
and later on, Aggressive Perfector was re-recorded again and ended up being a B-side for the single for Criminally Insane, which itself was a remixed version from Rain and Blood. And then later on again, it was added as a B-side one more time for the single Seasons in the Abyss, which came out in 1990. So this song, Aggressive Perfector, had been around for a while, and they finally threw it on the EP for all those years later. So I really, really dig this EP. It was, like I said, my first exposure to Slayer. There's, it, it, It's one of those things where I was starting to get into all this different kind of music, a lot darker music. Uh, and so it was it was very eye opening and as a teenager those that's one of those things that you know that's that phase you go through when you where you're exploring all these different things and opening up your mind to to different areas of the world and and areas of religion and stuff like that and kind of seeing things for what they are but it's a cool ep check it out it's still available pick it up if you can stream it if you want it's cool check out some slayer well, very nice so what's your online pick of the week this week? All right. So for my online pick of the week, I uh, picked a Twitch channel. Uh, if you're familiar with Twitch, it's not just for gaming. There's a lot of musicians on there. Uh, there's a lot of uh, variety on there. There's people that just have talk shows. It's, it's a really cool platform. So if you haven't experienced it and you think it's just for games, it there's a lot more to it. Um, this week I picked Herman Lee's channel. Herman Lee is the guitarist from Dragon Force. I, I just recently started subscribing to his channel, and one of the coolest episodes I've watched just recently, he had Houston, uh, Houston guitarist uh, Rusty Cooley on, and they jammed for about an hour uh, just played, riffed off of just, he, he had created some stock tracks, like some backing tracks, and they would just riff off of that and created their own music going back and forth. You know, one guy would, would riff for a minute, the next one would go back and forth. It was so cool. Um, he's got a lot of different musicians coming on the show. Uh, in, in the near future, uh, Jeff Loomis is going to be on, who's uh, from Nevermore and Arch Enemy. Um, so... It's going to be a really cool experience, and they don't just do the riffing and everything. Like they talk about music, they talk about their their history in the, the industry. So if you're an aspiring musician, um, they, there's a lot of insight into you know their careers and how they got where they are, and what it's like for a young musician coming up now. Because a lot of them are both of like Herman and. So far, some of the guests that I've listened to, um, they they deal with a lot of students, etc., and and you know just people that are you know growing up in the industry and have a, a really unique perspective of of seeing it from from both sides, from their their growth as well as from their students, etc. So it's a really cool channel. Uh, make sure to check it out on Twitch. Again, it's Herman Lee from Dragon Force. Um, is uh you know, I, I hate to make myself sound like I'm a million years old, but I'm familiar with Twitch, but I don't, uh, I haven't gone on it or seen it mm -hmm. or done anything with it. it. Is it similar in a way to YouTube where there's videos on there that you can go back to, or is it something that's constantly live? Yeah, so so they do live streaming, um, but the the streamer can choose to save their vods or delete them, and that means video on demand. So that way you can go back and watch them at a later date. 
Uh, it really depends sometimes because the rules are so strict and some sometimes um, they're not easily available because maybe there's uh, copyright infringement or something like that and Twitch will take that down. So uh, a lot of times if there is something like that, they'll immediately delete the VOD before they can deal with any issues like that. But for the most part, I would say, yeah, like a lot of times they are immediately available. I know for Herman Lee's, the, the VODs are all um, subscriber only. So subscriptions are usually about five bucks a month. It depends on, you know, how much you want to put into it because there's different tiers. Um, but but it's it's really worth it if you enjoy watching a person stream to do so. And it, it's like I said, like there's there's so much to the channel uh, where they talk about guitars, uh, the like they talk about pickups, you know what pickups to use if you want to achieve the sound. They talk about the equipment, like the 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 amplifiers and stuff like that. So, it, it, if you're an aspiring musician, there's they there's a lot of these guys that are popping up on Twitch because right now there's not much else to do other than sit at home, and it's a it's a really cool platform that's allowing people to get a lot of exposure i think they had they had um i think he said around thirty thousand people watching on uh on wednesday so i mean that's that's a really impressive so definitely check it out if you haven't there you don't have to subscribe to a lot of channels either you can just create an account it's free to create and if you have Amazon Prime, and I'm not trying to plug Twitch because I don't work for them or anything, but <laughs> if they want to give us money, that'd be awesome. Um, but <laughs> but uh, if you have an Amazon Prime uh, account, you can get one free Twitch subscription through Prime. So if you have a channel that you're interested in, um, that that can be for free with your, your Prime subscription. Um, so at least it's worth checking out. And otherwise, you can watch the video with ads, uh, the, the the live stream. There will be ad breaks from time to time if you don't have a subscription. Um, but it is for free, so you don't have to pay anything. You know, paying my $79 or $100 a year to Amazon gives me a Twitch once a year anyway. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so that brings us to our main topic tonight, which is death metal. And the early years, specifically the early years of death metal, this is a subject that I am vaguely on the outskirts of. You, on the other hand, are an expert for the most part on this. So (laughs) you're going to lead the show tonight. I really look forward to learning a bunch about this. Now, I did have an opportunity to get to listen to a lot of this. And I'm looking forward to listening to something else because it's been like two weeks I've been listening to this stuff straight. <laughs> and so I've dug, I, you know, I dove as deep as I could or as deep as I wanted to, really. And so I'm hoping that we, this, this comes out pretty good tonight. So, Chris, why don't you take it away? All right. So, like in the last few episodes that where we've talked about a genre of music and kind of where it came from, the genesis we got to talk about the influences first and kind of in not a whole lot of detail because honestly it's funny how many of these genres are influenced by the same bands 
Um, we talked about some of these bands in the thrash episodes, so please go back and listen to those thrash episodes uh, to learn a bit more because we're not going to go in super detail about bands like Cre- uh, Creator and Thra- and sorry and Slayer uh, or Exodus, but but basically uh, d- death metal kind of came out of the early days of thrash. The, the, the speed that was involved in thrash, the attitude, especially bands like creator and slayer were really huge influences. And a lot of bands directly referenced them as their, you know, their, their greatest influence in the genre. Uh, However, there, there are really two bands that are known as the, the, the originators, the pioneers of death metal, and that's possessed and death, uh, and Possessed specifically kind of came from a different perspective. Um, they kind of came more out of like the, the hardcore thrash scene. I'm sorry, the hardcore punk scene. And some of the early bands like Motorhead. And yes, a Slayer was a big influence as well. So different side of the country because most of the, the death metal bands were coming out of Tampa, Florida. Whereas... Possessed was coming from San Francisco, California. So interestingly enough, like we've talked about in previous episodes too, was that even though this was across the country in a different part of, like, complete different part of America, um, these bands were being influenced in the same way and the same kind of attitude and wanting something even more brutal and, and dark that it evolved into this genre of music. So very interesting. It, it's it's funny how San Francisco had so many of these bands because to me, like when you see a band like Possessed, they were more towards the satanic side of death metal mm-hmm. um, where the Florida bands were a little bit more into the gore. But some even some of those bands eventually ended up being a little bit more satanic. And and it's it's interesting how, you know, since Possessed started around the same time as a lot of the thrash bands, especially the the Bay Area thrash scene, um, you know, all these band members ran around the same circles. And Exodus is kind of a, is is the anomaly, almost like the link between the two genres, between tra- thrash and and death, because Exodus to me was was wanting to kind of ride that fine line between being evil and deathy. And and then being thrashy, so the the lyrics and the content were very deathy and and evil and and not necessarily satanic, but almost gory to some mm-hmm. degree. But the music stayed thrash. So it's funny how that influence, you know, like for instance with Possessed, it, it kind of said, all right, we're going to take this style of music, but we're going to go into this whole not a different direction. We're just gonna we're gonna you know going to veer off a little bit, you know, not like kind of on the feeder road <laughs> as opposed <laughs> yeah. to being a completely different highway. Um, because they possessed, you know, as much as they were a death metal band, they did have a lot of tendencies of thrash from what I heard this past couple weeks. So, Oh yeah, for sure. To be honest, for me, I don't really consider possessed first album to be a death metal album. It, to me, it's like, it's the link between, thrash and death metal it's not quite there yet it but it's so close you know you feel the the like i've said in the past the blueprint there Um, yeah i i get that because what i what i noticed about it when i was listening to their first album is that there was like 
almost to uh, like you say the blueprint, but there was parts of them where they wanted to be like progressive and they mm-hmm. did things because from what I gather after listening to all this is that there's there's this distinct thing about death metal that they try not to be part of any particular structure. In, in a song, you know, it's not like, you know, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, or anything like that, or bridge, or anything like that. They have all these different sections of the song. Sometimes they go back to it. Sometimes they never touch it again. Almost like a really, uh, in an odd way, uh, like almost a bastardized version of the songs from Man Justice for All, where there was like 20,000, you know, <laughs> different riffs chucked into one song. I, I you know? know what you mean there. Yeah, yeah. You know, so... Possessed did that, and I can't remember what song it is. I think it's like the second song in the album, uh, Seven Churches, where they they just they throw in this kind of like little lick four times, I think it is, or three times, where where they just they throw it in there just to be different, just to have something different in the pattern that they were going in. So I noticed that a lot where that's where Possessed, you know, was heading into the death metal part of it. In trying to veer off from the from the the thrash part, whereas mm-hmm. a band like Death, you know, it was that was their signature essentially, and they created the blueprint to 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 make that signature their own. Oh, for sure. So, kind of just touching one more time on the influences, Venom obviously was a big factor in that. The dark, you know, aspects of the lyrics, the the. Well, really, the lyrical content and the satanic nature. Um, Celtic Frost, big influence. Morbid Tales was really highly influential on extreme metal in general. general. Uh, Slayer, Hella Waits was really that, that kind of moment for a lot of bands that they heard, you know, the... the the satanic nature of the music and, and were like, this is cool. Um, creator, uh, Pleasure to Kill as we mentioned in the thrash episode is considered one of the, the most influential albums on the, the, uh, extreme metal genre Exodus, like you just, you said a minute ago, uh, bonded by blood. That was kind of like that, that point between thrash and, uh, like if, if, if possessed is connecting thrash and, and death metal, then they're connecting it from bonded by blood. And then Motorhead. Motorhead was a big influence on Possessed. And, I mean, Overkill was, was a huge influence on Thrash and the aggressive sound of, of the, the drum beats. And so all of these were kind of the main influences that a lot of bands will cite as their, their inspiration for what became known as death metal. Um, so... Coming out of the thrash scene was the first wave of, of black metal and hardcore punk. Death metal was really known for the heavy, distorted, low-tuned guitars, deep growling vocals, aggressive drumming, and the double kick and blast beats. Lyrical themes would include slasher film-style violence, politics, religion, nature, philosophy, and science fiction. So pretty diverse you know, and th- th- I think that really speaks to where the genre went as a whole and how it splinter- splintered off so much because death metal has so many subgenres now. And that really all divulged from, you know, these bands that started off maybe all focused on gore, but then others went into politics, others went into 
uh, religion. And, and so it really catered itself towards really divulging into so many different genres. The, the funny thing about death metal to me, obviously, you know, the first thing you think of when you hear the term death metal is it's, it's satanic. It's about, you know, death and, and the gore and all that stuff. And it's funny because as you and I were discussing the two, there's two distinct different paths at the beginning of death metal, which is, you know, there's the satanic side and then there's the, the kind of gore slasher film kind of stuff that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And, and they don't mix like, you know, I was reading an article today on, on Chuck where he said, I didn't touch Satanism. I didn't touch satanic lyrics because I didn't want anything to do with religion and I didn't want to be remotely associated with religion. And and he felt that touching upon Satanism would have that effect where they he you know they're they're talking about a particular religion. Where possessed, I mean they just dove straight, you know, head first right into <laughs> yeah. Satanism, you know, it was and there was no questions about it. You know, and 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 they they Diverge into two very different paths, you know. So, in in, in having other bands, because that was the one thing too. All these different things that you're talking about that it 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 spoke about in the lyrics, dominated by how death was able to the the band, how death was able to change uh, his his lyrical content through the years. And it was not, you know, it wasn't a, a really long period of time, but you know, when you're talking over a ten year period, you know, that is, it's, it's, it's amazing how fast each album progressively changed as far as lyrical content for 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 him at least. Yeah, I mean, we're gonna definitely talk about all of that as far as some of these bands, and just like we we said in the thrash, just like we said in in the glam episodes. Um, some of these bands would kind of just stay on one course and and that's the way they they went whereas others you know kind of found that change was necessary at least for them as artists you know to to be happy i mean we've talked about metallica in the past where metallica was not satisfied with just staying as a thrash band forever and they experimented and grew and changed and that was just their nature well, death, I mean, is a perfect example of that, and we're definitely going to go over that. Um, but but first of all, we need to talk about Possessed, because technically, Possessed does have the first, what is considered, death metal album. So, Possessed was formed in 1983 in San Francisco, California. Their first initial run, they lasted from 1983 to 1987. Uh, like I said, they're one of the two main bands that's attributed with creating death metal. And the significant members of the band that most people might know is Jeff Becerra, who is the, the creator of the band, and Larry Lalonde, who was later of Primus. So very different direction in music. It, uh, dude, Larry Lalonde, I mean, to go from Possessed to Primus is so weird. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is just completely, you know, like, it's not even a 180. I mean, it's almost like a... You know, a 450 it's just like <laughs> spinning you know, when, like wherever it shoots me is, is where I'm going and it's funny because bringing up Primus I was just looking through a, a little while ago the list of, of songs on a certain I can't remember which album it was on, on a certain death album and there was a Primus jam on there where they were 
playing in the in the same vein as Primus, uh, with you know funky bass and and you know whirly guitars and stuff like that. So it was pretty pretty interesting, even though you know death has nothing to do with Primus, but it's funny how that link that that really weird link all the way across the country. Well, I I think it's it's something that's always so funny to me is because. You know, you think of a band and you you hear these guys playing a certain type of music, but when they're in their free time, when they're they're separate, you know, from their their job, they can't just be listening to that genre of music because that that's like, you know, if you build houses, you go home and and design houses for fun, you know, <laughs> it, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> so it, it's always funny to me because I remember reading. I think it was, I want to say it was The Haunted years ago. I was looking at their influences, and I I remember one of the guys, like, their their main influence was The Beatles. And it was, yeah, it's just such a different genre of music, such a different style, but but that makes sense to me that somebody would, would, uh, you know, be inspired by something completely different and apply that to their music. Yeah. Uh, well, Seven Churches was the first album that's attributed as being a death metal album. Uh, I, and I would say, yes, that's the prototypical sound of the genre. It's going to be what would lead to the the, the genre of death metal, uh, much in the same way that, like, say, Black Sabbath would be what kind of led into metal. Um, it's, it's the same kind of idea to me. Um, so I would say, yeah, it, like, uh, as we said earlier, connecting the dots between thrash and death metal. Um, one thing that was really interesting was that it was a really rocky start for the band because the album was banned from major record stores due to having an inverted cross on the cover. The, the album being banned just for the cover would, would, would be just the beginning of, of the issues with this album because obviously once people got a hold of it and they were able to hear the lyrics, this was not normal. At, at that time, this was not something, I mean, yeah, there was Venom, you know, and, and Venom was popular, you know, just a few years earlier. So, but it still was just one of these weird things where as, as Venom didn't have an upside down cross. So yeah, Venom had the satanic lyrics, but Venom was, you know, it was almost kind of weird. Like Venom was Venom, you know, people kind of yeah. accepted Venom for who they were, but they didn't, they didn't think that it was going to just explode into this whole 10,000 different subgenres that all had to deal with the devil kind of thing, you know? And so Seven Churches comes out and you see this thing. It basically, you know, it has an upside down cross. It's got a, a devil's tail and it's, it, it's, it's about the seven churches of Asia that's mentioned in the book of Revelation. So there's so much religious connotation to it that I could see how it's going to piss people off and, and, and get banned a, across the way. And even, I would say even more than piss people off, it scared them. Because this is this was something so new, right? Like, like think about when The Exorcist came out in the seventies, and the, the reaction that people had to that, and it's it's got to be the same kind of reaction. Like now, it's so passe, it's so common to have this kind of thing going on, and religion is not viewed in the same way as it was, you know, many years ago. Um, but but then it probably scared a lot of people. Oh, absolutely. I mean. <sighs> It's, it's, you know, remember how I tell you that I don't like the song Black Sabbath too much just because I, I just don't think it's 
that great of a song personally. Um, mm-hmm. But as a young kid, that scared the shit out of me because <laughs> I was joking with you today. What's what's the, the, the scariest thing in the world to hear or, or to see? It, you know, or in this particular case here, is Ozzy going, oh, no, in the middle of freaking Black Sabbath. <laughs> Dude, that's, 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 you, you hear that and you just want to cringe. I mean, the song itself is, is scary alone. Then you have to hear him, you know, basically dying on, on, <laughs> on, on, uh, on the song. So, yeah, it scared people. It scared people. And then the people who weren't scared and were like, wait a second, this is not right. And so they were angry. So it was definitely uh, an eye opener, and it was definitely something that people needed to pay attention to. Oh, for sure. Um, so, like I said before, this predated Death Scream Bloody Gore, uh, but it was also released after their many self releases in the tape trader community. So there was a lot going on because Possessed was releasing uh, underground tapes that were being traded around. Um, same thing with Death. There was other bands that were doing the same. So. It's it's kind of muddy waters to say like which you know who started the genre honestly and to me it really doesn't matter because these bands were all so influential and important in the genre and and to, to just try to figure out like this person or that person it, it doesn't matter you know the the fact is these are the guys that that, that made it together in my eyes. Uh, second album that they released was in 1986, and that was Beyond the Gates. Uh, this was a little bit more technical and commercial release, and I think the main reasoning for that was because due to the issues that they had with the, the imagery that was on the uh, the first cover, um, the, the, you know, the backlash, the fact that the major record companies would not carry the album, they kind of went in a different direction to to survive. And that, so the, beyond the gates, um, it's it's a little bit more more commercial. They remove the the inverted cross from their logo. Um, you know, it's just something that they had to do. It it definitely was a reaction to whatever backlash they were getting. And unlike Venom and Slayer, where they didn't give a shit. Okay. Mm-hmm. It it almost in in reverse it spooked possess in in a, in a weird way. They spooked themselves. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they spooked themselves. You know, they they spooked the world so much that they, they got spooked in return because it's like you know, I, I guess maybe in a way they must have felt that there was going to be some sort of ban on them or something to that. You know, whatever it may have been, who knows? Yeah. But you know, to 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 go and put their second album out and it doesn't even have the name on it basically it barely has uh, you know anything as far as the covers it's just a very mechanical face looking thing it's it's uh definitely trying to steer clear of controversy you could tell you know yeah so for sure i mean while the songs themselves may not be steering away from that controversy that even the titles are a little bit less in your face as far as what what the what the lyrics are going to be about, but they definitely they definitely made a conscious effort to be different. Yeah, completely. Um, and then the the last release that they had before their breakup uh, was the the Eyes of Horror EP. 
Um, so it really continued the direction that they were going from the previous release. Uh, much cleaner production. Interestingly enough, the, it was produced by Joe Satriani. Um, so the band was going in a positive direction, um, but they unfortunately would break up afterwards. There were just too many issues going on. And really this, this led to something that I was surprised to learn because I had forgotten completely completely about this but um in 1989 jeff becerra was shot and paralyzed uh the, he he continued to play music later on in his life but it took him a lot a lot longer to get back into the the industry uh due to the injury which is completely understandable just absolute tragedy um and that that is it is a, a, a terrible tragedy because those are the kinds of things that obviously changes everything so you, you, you can learn from it. Some people, you know, I mean, look at uh, Jason Becker. That guy still puts out music, and all he can do is see. Mm-hmm. He puts that's, it out so with incre- his eyes. Incre- yeah, it's so incredible. So, you know, it, it, when, when, when you say these things are life-changing, yeah, they change your life some way, somehow. You can either let it define you, or you can create something new out of it. And, and a lot of people have done that. And, you know, for the fact that Jeff Becerra can continue to still do stuff today is, is, an, is a tribute to knowing that he didn't let that define him at the time. Oh, for sure. So I don't know a lot about this, this portion of their career um, because the band had broken up, but Mark Torreo would continue the band from 1990 to 1993, uh, though no albums were pre- uh, produced during this time. So I don't know what kind of agreement he had with Jeff Becerra, um, but th- that version of the band did not last. Uh, but Jeff would reform the band in, in 2006 with a completely new lineup, and they would continue on from there until they finally released one last album in 2019, which which is... 22 years later 32 years later so drastically different but it's a really good release um i i listened to this album you know in preparation for this and i had not heard it before and i was very surprised they actually brought back the original logo from the seven churches album with the inverted cross that the production is excellent uh, the, the the songs are much better than the stuff that i heard before that so even though like Seven Churches is a really landmark album, and it's really important in the genre. For me, this release, uh, the Revelations of Oblivion, is really good. I I think it's the best thing that they put out. I I did not get an opportunity to to to, to listen to this album, Revelations of of Oblivion, um, and because I was focusing kind of trying to get all these different bands listened to at one time. I I do know that. The one thing that's changed between then and now is production. I mean, mm-hmm. nowadays, it doesn't matter who you are. You you can pretty much get a really clean, good-sounding album. So for, for any album nowadays to sound like shit, it means that you, you want it to sound like shit <laughs> because there's no reason for black it. Black metal. It, exactly. And, you know, and even then, they're, they're, they have cleaned up their act for the most part. Oh, the black metal releases that are coming out now, the production is so much better than what it used to be. The, the mindset, I think, is different than what it than what it once was. But uh, you know, that's that's a story for another day. Um, but regardless, you're you're 100 right. The production is is the difference. Today. Yeah, and and so kind of kind of trying to put a bow on on possessed. 
I listened to the, the first two albums and I listened to the EP. Uh, I did like the EP uh, a little bit more than I liked the other the the, the, the first two albums. Um, the EP, what what I liked about it was it it kind of concentrated a little bit more on the thrash sound. It wasn't as um, I guess you could say as progressive as as death music as death metal is typically. Um, it it was, didn't it didn't have that hardcore punk aspect really to it either. It was more thrashy. Right. I would agree. Yeah. You know, and the vocals a lot more understandable uh, than his than the first two albums. It, it, they each album progressed in as far as vocally, uh, you know, for Jeff's vocals were concerned. He, mm-hmm. he progressed into a more. I mean, yes, he had the growl. The, the the typical death metal growl, but he it became a situation. Maybe he he understood more because it's funny because that album came out uh, in eighty seven. That would be the 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 first release of Death, and Death's big thing was that he always wanted the the lyrics to be understandable. So I think you know I don't know if there was a conversation between them <laughs> or what, but you know it's funny because Jeff's vocals progressed to the point where it was understandable even though it was still death sounding it was understandable which was cool and that's that's another reason why i like it more because I'm, I'm able to understand it right off the bat yeah no i, I completely understand that it, that was something that when i was first getting into death metal it was it was important to me to to read the lyrics because a lot of the times you couldn't understand what the guys were saying um but it's it's something that uh over time I started to really understand and I think it's also helped me with learning languages because (laughs) I grew up listening to this music that I had to 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 understand (laughs) regardless of (laughs) how clear it was and it's it's just kind of interesting um but yeah um now moving on to to like I've said before my favorite band uh we have death and they had formed as mantis M-A-N-T-A-S, in 1983 in Alamont Springs, Florida. Uh, they, they stayed as Mantis for two years, from 1983 to 1984, and then from 1984 to 1996, and then 98 to 2001, they, they performed Death. Uh, so the significant members, uh, obviously Chuck Schuldiner, the, the driving force, the creator, the, the, the main guy of Death, the only one that was around the entire run, um, and then James Murphy and Steve Giorgio and Gene Hoagland, they would all also have runs in Testament and other bands that we're going to mention later. Um, Andy LaRocque from King Diamond was on one album. Paul Masvidal and Sean Reinert from Cynic were on one album. And Richard Christie from The Howard Stern Show was the final drummer of the band, which is always kind of interesting to me. It's interesting because when you when – you see Richard Christie you just don't see him as this drummer for a death metal band but he's a damn good drummer he's an amazing drummer so as we said before uh, they're one of the two main bands attributed with creating death metal uh, along with Possessed who we mentioned a minute ago they released 12 rehearsal tapes and 8 live tapes in 1984 to 1986 That's, that's a lot of material that went out on the tape trading scene there were six demos from 1984 to 1986, including Death by Metal, Reign of Terror, Infernal Death, Rigor Mortis, Back from the Dead, and Mutilation. So these were all traded on the tape trader scene and really became just 
very influential in that part of the, the, the country. What's interesting is a lot of the guys that would play in death would go on to play in other bands in the genre. Um, all these guys knew each other cause they were all from Tampa, Florida area. They, I mean, they, so there, there was, there was a lot of, of death's DNA in, in a lot of these other bands when they released uh, scream bloody gore in 1987, a lot of people really consider this the first death metal album. And that's the reason being is it's like they took what was done with possessed and really refined it into what was death metal. Like I said before, it's kind of like taking black Sabbath and saying, you know, this is, this is what led to death metal. This is the DNA that got it there, but it's not death metal. I'm sorry. It's not metal per se. It's it. Black Sabbath in their early years were not a metal band. No, no, they weren't, but they were heavy and, you mm-hmm. know, so death metal and death, you know, at first no one called it death metal, but exactly. they were you know, just metal band. It was, it was an, you know, a metal band, a heavy metal band. Uh, some people, you know, probably threw in the word extreme because it was so different from everything else that, that they heard. Um, even though extreme metal is is a different genre now, you know, again, it's it, all these labels are after the fact. So no one comes in and says, "All right, today we're going to be a doom metal band." You know, <laughs> they just, you know, because I was telling you about a list I saw yesterday. They had doom metal. the the the, the best album in doom metal was. Uh, Masters of Reality from Black Sabbath. I think that was the one. You know, so it was like, or Volume 4, one of the two. So it, it's like, they weren't a doom metal band. It wasn't doom metal that they were playing. But it is the blueprint for what eventually would become doom metal. So, yeah, you're right. And and we've talked about it countless times. You know, these bands that, that blueprint themselves, you know, to creating something. Look, Death started something that has just blown up worldwide. There's no denying that. And even though, you know, Possessed may have released their album first, what Death did was it defined the genre as as the style that it would eventually be. Or mm-hmm. because Possessed was more thrash with satanic lyrics. So you know, even though they would try to be a little bit progressive, that was the thing about Chuck and and his focus and his desire. This was this this band that he was creating, Death, was so distinctively different. It's I mean, you they he melded so many different styles together to create what he got. Predominantly thrash, obviously. Predominantly. Uh, progressive metal of some sort because that really wasn't a thing either you know progressive metal i mean i didn't i never heard that term until dream theater you know I, you didn't hear progressive metal when it came to Queensryche. they were just a progressive band you know yeah that was something that they were they were like a lot of the the guys that would start genres they would continue to progress and grow mm-hmm. and not be satisfied with the status quo. Right. And they were always, they, Chuck was always 
trying to do something different. He didn't want to be stagnant. He didn't want to recreate. Uh, he didn't want to repeat himself, not recreate. He didn't want to repeat himself. And that's that's obvious when you hear these. the, the progression of every album is so different from the next one. Even mm-hmm. though there's similarities, but you could tell it's more of a progression rather than staying on the same highway, you know? Absolutely. So, and that's the one thing that I thought it was really cool because for me, being new to death and, and, and since you and I have become friends, it has been a thing where I've listened to more and more of this extreme music that's out there. And the one that I've always wanted to kind of, you know, adopt as much as I could was the band death. And it, it, it's been hard because it's not my style, but there are things that I picked up these last couple of weeks where I'm like, yeah, this is cool. You know, this guy is really, really good at playing guitar, you know? So there's, there's so many things out there and this wasn't just guitar because, you know, all the songs were his, you know, all, all the guitar playing was him except for, you know, some rhythm guitar players or, or some leads that were added on, you know, there there's everything came out of his mind except for a few songs here and there that were co-written and it's it's you know and then he didn't want to just be defined by this style that's that was the one thing that was so cool he'd say oh you know what we're gonna go ahead and make a jazz death metal album shit you know let's do that <laughs> and, and, and yeah he, incorporated that into the album he had a desire to play with the best musicians he could play with and i think that's that's something that's really admirable um, the first album though, uh, and this is a name that'll pop up later. The only two musicians that played on the album were, were Chuck and Chris Reifert and Chris Reifert was on the drums. Chuck played every other instrument on the first album. Uh, you, you'll see a lot of times with, with death metal, especially Scandinavian death metal. A lot of times the first album will have a lot of session musicians, or one guy's playing most of the music. I think that's that's interesting because it's usually like how it takes off. It gets to the point, you know, where they're able to hire musicians that become part of the band. But uh, this was very interesting to me because it really does show the level of talent that Chuck had because he was playing pretty much every instrument other than the drums. Um, and then there is more gore focused. Uh, so at that time, Chris would kind of take that and when he formed his band later that was what he carried with him into that band whereas the next album from death leprosy would kind of continue that but he he kind of already starting to change and and focus on more and focus on more realistic gore you know not the fantasy of movies but like leprosy the actual thing that affected people uh, and uh, you know, ravaged the 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 real people in life. Not not so much, you know, movie slasher killer kind of stuff, but reality in a way. Um, in this album, he also brought on Rick Ross, Bill Andrews, and Terry Butler. All three of them would form Massacre with singer Cam Lee, who was the first singer for Death. So, kind of interesting connection with Massacre that we'll talk about later as well. And this was the last of really the gore-based lyrics before they moved on to spiritual healing. Uh, Spiritual healing, uh, James Murphy, who we mentioned was in Testament at one point, and he's he's going to be mentioned again later, uh, replaces Rick Ross on guitar, 
this is a much more melodic release with the lyrics shifting towards societal issues. Uh, the entire band, unfortunately, after this the, or during this tour, uh, was fired because Bill Andrews and Terry Butler would actually go into go to Europe after Chuck declined the tour to Europe and perform as death without his permission. It was really a bad situation. Uh, he had to fight to maintain the, the name death. He actually sued them, and there's a whole story um, behind that. It's just, it's really unfortunate because Chuck was almost on the verge of quitting music because he was so disappointed with everything that happened there. And I think that really came out in the next release, Human, when he he really shifted things more towards technical music and introspective lyrics. Um, this was a huge change and really one of the breakout albums for the band. Um, this, like I mentioned earlier, Paul Masvidal and uh, Sean Reinert from Cynic joined the band. Uh, they weren't going to be permanent members of the band per se because they were focused on Cynic, but Steve DiGiorgio who we'll be mentioning a lot over the course of this episode, uh, was the the basis that would you know finish up that lineup. Um, this was really seen as a pivotal release in the formation of te- technical death metal. So here we're seeing Chuck with the first couple albums is influencing a lot of other bands that we're going to talk about in a bit with the gore bass lyrics. Now we're, he's influencing people with the technical aspect of his music. Listening to what I listen to today, it's it's interesting to to and not just today. I mean, literally over the past couple of weeks, but trying to remember what I was listening to these past couple of weeks, I kind of went over everything again today. Um, the just listening to the progression that is made from every single album and how there's just these slight changes. You know, one from, you know, you go from Screen Bloody Gore to the better production that's on Leprosy. And then there's the better production on Spiritual Healing. And then after that, it just becomes this pristine production for the rest of the albums on. It's it's nice to see, or it, it, was, it was really good to see or hear the progression that came out. Because you can tell when... You know, like on Spiritual Healing, you could just tell right away that the lyrics were no longer gore. Even the song titles were not gory, you know. And so now it was, you know, societal basis, spiritual healing. I mean, you could just tell by the album cover what it's going to be about. And for those of you who don't get it, I mean, it's it's about religion. <laughs> Even though he's trying to stay away from it, he was he didn't specifically talk about you know, like Satanism and God and all that stuff. He specifically talked about evangelists and and how they affect other people and stuff like that. And so it's it's more of, of a people in a societal thing, like you said, but it is obviously focused on a, a particular group of preachers, put it that way. Well, you know, for the for, that is part of it, but it's also about just avoiding just listening and not questioning things. And I think that's one of the biggest aspects of it is is not being a sheep. And the way that politics and religion affect society and how easily it is to fall into those things, which is still very topical 
today. That will always be topical. At yeah, at any time. Yeah, but more so today than than sometimes in the last few years. Oh, exactly. So you know, then then you go on to to human, and you hear the more uh, the more jazzy kind of experimental, very technical side of 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 that album, and it just keeps getting more and more technical as as, as it goes on, and that I I think that's cool, you know. And but and it, to me it's, it's weird. It almost for me it became more listenable mm-hmm. as time went on, and I like that. I thought that was pretty cool. Yes, we're going to speak about Steve DiGiorgio a lot. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, um, he he appears on so many of these albums. It's it's very interesting. Um, very much much like Rudy Sarzo, he appears on. So many different albums. Yeah, have four strings for hire. <laughs> Sometimes five. <laughs> no, yeah, so, go on. Oh, go ahead. No, no, sorry, go on. So from Human, uh, the band would release Individual Thought Patterns in 1993. Um, Gene Hoagland replaces Sean Reinert. Andy Rillo Rock replaces Paul Masvidal as they went to go focus on Cynic. Um, this goes into more psychology-based lyrics. So you can see, again, Chuck is changing his direction and what, what's interesting him at the time. And what, who, he's, who he's surrounded by affect that on a large level, too. Um, Philosopher, interestingly enough, was featured on Beavis and Butthead. And it, I, I love this clip because the boy in the video is referred to as... Jeremy from the Pearl Jam song <laughs> and they're making fun of Pearl Jam and uh Death in the same it's it's so great. It, if you haven't seen it, you can find it on YouTube. It's worth watching. That's funny. I I haven't seen it. Uh I I meant to see a couple of videos of theirs today, but I didn't get a chance to. I I like these these last few albums that came out from Death. You could just see the growth and the the idea of not being satisfied with where he was at and I, that that's that's awesome you know there's nothing else you can say about it because that's what you want to see in 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 music you know and 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 sometimes people don't want to but i think those those guys that don't want to see that it, to me they're afraid to, literally to me they're afraid to step out of that little circle that they're in when you have mm-hmm. when you have someone like Chuck who's not afraid, he wasn't afraid of anything, as far as music was concerned, and he's like, oh, you know, I want to do this, so you know, I'm gonna get. I'm, he became a better guitar player. He became he opened up the styles that he played with, to to incorporate you know jazz and fusion, and experimental and progressive and all that stuff, and and he melded it all together to create what he created, and that's, I mean. That's inspirational in, in to me, at least. You know, and I think sometimes bands aren't necessarily always afraid to experiment, but what ends up happening is when they do, there's such a huge fan backlash that they don't understand. And it's usually like, so deaths, you know, changes from album to album seem logical. When you listen to scream bloody gore and then you move to leprosy it it's not that far off but when you go from leprosy to spiritual healing even though the lyrical content shifts 
the music's still very similar. When he goes from spiritual healing to to human, yeah, it becomes more technical, but the stretch from the lyrical content is not that much different than from human to individual thought patterns. It's it's just a progression. It's a slow progression that takes you from if you listen to to Scream Bloody Gore and then listen to their last album, Sound of Perseverance, it's very different. But if you listen to them over time, you feel that progression, that change, and it's not so jarring. But you have bands that go from one album, like Celtic Frost is one of the best examples I can think of, where you go from, I can't remember the album that preceded it, but then they, they go to Cold Lake, oh, and yeah. it's it's a completely different genre of music. Yeah, that, and that, that's called getting sucked in by the record company. Mm-hmm. It's... it's it's hard to to follow a band when they're they're doing things like that when you can't when you can't follow them. No, absolutely not. I mean, I mean, it's you could you could put that in the same vein with Metallica. You could see the progression on each album, you know, and then all of a sudden, boom, they slap you know Load and well, the Black album first. But at least with the Black album, Load was kind of like, oh, they already did the Black album, so you know, let's disappoint some more. <laughs> go to load you know but each album from kill em all to ride the lightning the master of puppets and, and justice for all there was such a progression that this it doesn't even sound like the same band that's on kill em all playing injustice for all you know so well, the other the other aspect i think is that and it's it's something a friend of mine who's a comedian said was you know there's a lot of comedians out there in the world that will say you can't say anything now. You can't. You can't say like because they'll say jokes that are viewed as offensive. And he said that's just not true. You can say it. You can. You can make the jokes, and they can be offensive. They just have to be good jokes. I think that's really true, and it rings true for music as well. Is like you can have a band that changes from thrash to a hard rock band like Metallica. And go from Injustice for All to the Black Album. But the music has to be there. The quality of the music has to be there. And that's one difference, too, is that some of these bands would experiment and change and, and go in a different direction. But the music sucked. And it's, it, it, they have to have the quality there. No, absolutely. I mean, you, you, you're, you're absolutely right. The quality needs to be there. And because if, you, if you're going to make that change, it's got to be good. You know, you you just can't go from point A to you know point C and expect there everyone to go, yeah, it's great, and and if it sucks, because if it sucks, mm-hmm. if it sucks, people are gonna tell you it sucks. You know, and that that's that's what's cool. I mean, in in with with death, it it was so gradual that it was almost like the 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 fans. <laughs> if you bring the fans with you along with the, for the ride. The fans, when they when they look back and go, oh shit, dude, where do we go? Where do we come from? Because it's so different mm-hmm. from when, where they came from. The fan, I don't even think the fans realized it at at first. Exactly, you know, and that and that's I, and the, I, the great, the best way to do it. You know, yeah, I, th- I think that's it was it was so subtle a change at times that the fans were along for the ride and didn't didn't realize you know, how, how heavily it was changing. Right. And that, that also speaks to like, like say, like, like I said, the quality of the music. Moving on to 1995 with Symbolic, Bobby Keeble and 
Kelly Conlon would replace Andy LaRock and Steve DiGiorgio. This album with and Gene Hoagland will round out the uh, the uh, lineup. Um, this album is considered one of the greatest death metal albums ever released by many critics. Uh, it's it's really that culmination of all the the maturity that had been building up over this time. All the aspects like the introspective lyrics, the technical aspects of it, the psychology, you know, all all the things that had been building up from the albums before were on display here. And he took it to the next level with his songwriting. And this really was originally supposed to be the last death album. Chuck had wanted to make a shift, make a change into another genre into power metal and he ended up actually dissolving the band after this album um but we'll talk more about sound of perseverance in a moment um but really truly this is this is one of the landmark albums in death metal for sure this this album has a lot of cool stuff on it and in reality i mean you know, I'm not an expert on it. So listening to what I, what I heard, it was like, you know, it was such a, a a breath of fresh air as far as hearing how good he had, it had, you know, he had come along. And I say he, because like I said, you know, death was Chuck, you know, and it was, it was, it was all, it was all his idea. So to see how far he came along and, and to, and to basically put this album together. I mean, that was, that's awesome. And and it was Chuck, but uh, he always made every member of the band at any time um, an important aspect of the band. You know, these guys were master musicians. I mean, if you've ever heard Steve DiGiorgio on bass, uh, and I know he's not on this particular album, but I'm using him as an example. Um, he is a master of the bass. He, he understands the instrument so well, and all of the fills, all of the little things that he does where the, the, the uh, intricacy of his playing, that's him. And he, they, all of these guys were allowed to add those aspects of the music. It wasn't, it wasn't like Chuck was just such a control freak that he, he wasn't allowing the guys to do these things. He picked these guys to be on these albums because they were the best of the best. Right. And, and, that, and that's the whole thing. You know, it's, it's, you can, you can be a control freak, you know, or you can be a dictator. You can still be a, a nice dictator per se. You know? <laughs> I mean, funny. I mean, it's, it's, it's true. I, I mean, get what the, you're saying. Yeah. In, in all honesty, there was no democracy in death. Okay. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, he allowed people their freedoms to be able to be, you know why? Because Damn it, you know, Steve DeGeorge is one of the best bass players on the planet. Okay, mm-hmm. how how would you, you know, how how could you sit there and say, you know what, you you can't play that or don't do that or or whatever because you have a guy who's you're looking at is one of the best at, at what he does. And if, if he comes up and says, hey, I think this is going to be a really cool part on here, you're going to mm-hmm. listen. You know, oh, yeah. and the same thing with, with, with Gene Hoglin. I mean, dude, he's one of the best drummers on the planet. You're going to sit there and say, no, nah, Gene, I'd rather you just play 4-4. No. Fuck that. <laughs> you, know, you know, I mean, Gene doesn't play 4-4. Let's just put it that way. He's going to do 10,000 things inside that 4-4, and it's going to sound great. You like it. Trust me. 
he's he lets he let them be the experts in their field and put it all together to make to make the band. I mean, he that's what he wanted. He wanted the best in each position. He wanted the best at, at bass. He wanted the best at at drums. So mm-hmm. he got it. And then he said, now we're going to, you know, here are my songs. Let's make them great. So, yes. and he did. So in 1996, Chuck dissolved death, and he formed a new band called Control Denied. Uh, for the next couple of years, he worked on the music, uh, and he got a deal with Nuclear Blast due to his issues with Roadrunner, and that was one of the big reasons that he dissolved death. Um, and, but nu- Nuclear Blast was not willing to release a Control Denied album without getting one more death album. That was kind of part of the agreement was they they really wanted death, but they were willing to take what they could get if he released one more death album. Uh, so Sound of Perseverance really formed from that. A lot of material that was originally re- written for Control Denied was, as Richard Christie put it, deathized, and uh, the album honestly is excellent it's really good um i think that really shows how how great of a musician chuck was because a lot of musicians would be really turned off by the fact that they're they're controlled in that way they're told you have to do this despite the fact that that's not where he was in his headspace um he wanted to you know move towards power metal and clean vocals it really changed things, and um, he wasn't allowed to do that. But he put out an amazing album, and a lot of critics really view this as their greatest or one of their greatest albums. I was I was reading, I read an interview with Chuck, and he was saying how he wanted to actually have clean vocals several albums prior, but he knew based on his fan base that he couldn't do that without basically creating a new project because he didn't want to betray what he had created with death but he had mm-hmm. even that desire to have clean vocals had been part of it part of him for a while um but so he finally came to that conclusion he's like you know what it's time now and unfortunately they made him create something different cuz just imagine the sound of perseverance with clean vocals and how different that would be. So it would be different, but I'd be really sad at the same time because I love this album. <laughs> right, because so you used to. But again, if it had the clean vocals, it probably wouldn't have some of the different stylings that are on it. You know, because mm-hmm. he wouldn't have he wouldn't have needed to do it that way. He wouldn't have deathized it. Yeah, I, I, and part of his desire to have clean vocals was also the fact that he he felt that. When he first started, it wasn't as much of a problem, but it was shredding his vocal cords over the course of the years because of the way he did death vocals. And I can understand that. I'm, to me, it makes sense. Like, I, I don't know how these guys do it, to be honest. Well, I, I think um, for him, I, I mean, it doesn't seem like he put too many effects on his voice. No. Which is he did not. where you, you know, where you start shredding, you know, vocal cords because that's just not normal. Yeah. You know, where other guys, you know that they're, they've got an effect of some sort on their vocals to, to get that, that sound that they desire. For sure. Now, I do, I, even though it's not a death metal album, I do want to mention Control Denied because it does kind of wrap up Chuck's career and, unfortunately, his life. Um, 
this was the last album that he released. It was released under this this moniker, um, but most of the band that was featured on Sound of Perseverance would continue on. That This was the Sound of Perseverance lineup, essentially. Uh, however, Scott Clendenin, that was on bass during this album, was let go to uh, bring back on Steve Giorgio, who, was, who he originally wanted for this lineup, um, but he was unavailable at the time that Sound of Perseverance was released. So he, he rejoined the band, and unfortunately, two years later, after the release, he would pass away from brain cancer. Um, Chuck was diagnosed, and within a few months, he had passed away. A lot of musicians uh, tried to raise money for his, his surgery. Uh, unfortunately, because he did not have insurance at the time that he was diagnosed, uh, the companies, the insurance companies would not cover his, his surgery. And that's really an unfortunate thing in the medical world. But, I mean, that's not really what we're all about talking about. But it is it is something to note. Same thing with Ronnie James Dio. If he had gone to the doctor earlier and got it checked, he might still be with us today. If if you don't have insurance, um, you know, it's, it's, it's really tough to treat things because insurance companies are not going to treat you or, or take care of you. Um, they're not interested in taking care of you. And this is really a sign of that. And it's, it breaks my heart to this day because such a, a young, talented musician passed away from something that could have been treatable in, in a way. It's, it's very sad. Whenever, uh, a talent such as Chuck passes away, it, it is always a sad and disappointing feeling that you get because, you know, as as a fan, you know, you want to continue, you want to see more, you want to hear more from that particular musician that you like, and you can't, you know, and it's one of those things where it's like, wow, it just, it, it's as abrupt an end as you can possibly get. And, you know, with Chuck, I mean, he was so well liked in the music industry, especially in, obviously in, in the metal genre. Mm-hmm. He was so well respected worldwide that it's it's absolutely uh, a shame that you know that things like this happen where you know you can't get certain procedures done or certain things done because you can't one afford it and two you don't have insurance. I mean it's not it's not right it's not fair it's not something that should happen. But that's that's life and that's what happens to 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 people all the time and it's unfair. It's completely unfair. It's unfair for that person who passes away, but it's unfair for the people that it affects. And in this particular case, it didn't just affect his family. It affected the fans worldwide. And it was just a dramatic loss. It was tough. A hundred percent. It's a, you know, it's something that's, that'll be felt for, you know, many generations because there are even now more fans popping up, especially with the re-releases of the music that have come out in the last few years. Um, it's just it. It's one of those things that when it, when young musicians pass away, it, it's it's heartbreaking. I mean, guys like Kurt Cobain, you know, they're going to have a a, a long lasting effect on people, and you're always going to wonder what might have been. Absolutely, what might have been is always the biggest question. All right, so we're going to move on to the first wave of of early death metal. 
And we're going to talk about a band that has a lot of members from Death that we mentioned earlier and kind of go over this briefly, uh, but that's going to be Massacre. They were formed in Tampa, Florida in 1984, so not long after Death, um, but they disbanded in 1986 when Terry Butler and Bill Andrews, two of the original members, uh, left the band and joined Death in 1987. Um, So... They their originally run original run was only from 1984 to 1987, then again from 1989 to 1992, 1993 to 1996, and so on. You can see kind of how this is happening. They were on and off. Um, their first release was finally in 1991, and this featured Rick Ross, Bill Andrews, Terry Butler, and Cam Lee, who had all served at some point in death. Uh, from beyond. I, I think it's a pretty good release. It sounds very death. Um, the you can hear that that influence because they all came from that that uh, band. Um, Inhuman Condition EP uh, f- that followed it. It's got even more aggressive, distorted vocals, and they added Steve Swanson on guitar. So I gave I gave this a listen, and when you when you listen to, to Massacre, you you see that in the original Massacre um, released an one album in ninety one, and uh, was it a single or an EP, and then in ninety six they wrapped it up. That was it. The, the, that was the basic, you know, in the, the early incarnation of, of of Massacre. And all right, so I'm gonna say this because I was looking at it today. I can't take a band seriously that has that goofy ass alien on it. <laughs> okay, I don't know what the hell that thing is, and I don't know if it's a dead alien or what that thing is on the cover. But it's on the first two on the EP, and then on the on the the first album. And then you look at the logo, and the logo looks like it's graffiti rather than some scary, you know, metal band name. There's something about the album covers that just I can't take the band seriously. Now you hear the music and it's a completely different story. <laughs> I'm like, really? You know, and then and then to hear what the what the, the crap that they pulled with death, it's like, all right, you know what? I don't like you guys. <laughs> but 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 then 1996 comes around and it's like, what did what happened? You know? Oh, 1996's release is terrible. I I, I am not even going to pull any punches on this one. Uh, Promise is it's bad. Um, total divergence from, from any kind of death metal. It's just a rock album. I, I would venture to compare it a bit to, uh, paradise lost after they took away their harsh vocals and stuff like that. Like maybe anathema, which are bands I really just don't enjoy. Um, and it's such a departure that I just can't, I can't, I can't. I think that's the best way to put it. Uh, <laughs> Terry can't. Butler, yeah, Terry Butler and Bill Andrews that were that were both members of Death were replaced by guys named Pete Sisson and Cyrus Peters. I don't know them from anything else, uh, but that that influence of of death metal was lost, and it's just awful. You know, I listened to it, and the vocals changed much cleaner i guess you'd say mm-hmm. mostly it, clean huh mostly clean yeah. yeah um 
it was uh, better production on it. It was just a different style of music, you know, still metal to some degree, um, but it wasn't the same band. It wasn't but the call same yourself something style. Different. Yeah. Don't don't call yourself Massacre and put out a pansy rock album. <laughs> but again, it goes back to the beginning. Okay, I'm looking at the first album cover, and you look at the the album. You know, like for instance, uh, Sepultura, their first first logo. You know, had you know they they had the the S and they had the 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 A had the, the these things that look like knives coming down and it was supposed to be sharp and pointy, but there was something a little cheesy about it. But at the same time, you think about it, they were from Brazil. They didn't have a lot of money. There wasn't a lot put into it, but it was still effective. Mm-hmm. You look at Massacre, and it. I mean, I'm telling you, it looks like it should be on the side of a train in New York City because it looks <laughs> like graffiti. Yes, it has sharp points at, at, on certain letters, but it looks like graffiti that is just metal, metalized. And th- like I said, the alien, the, you know, he's got four fingers. He's got sharp teeth. It doesn't, he looks quote unquote scary. You know, it's not, <laughs> there's nothing about it that is appealing to me when is when you say this is supposed to be a, a death metal band. I don't get that. I, to me, yeah. it's almost cartoonish. And then it, it continued on in the next album. And it was, you know, so you got a similar kind of creature who is now at the control board trying to, you know, do this experiment on some human in the middle of the album cover again with the same graffitiized uh out you know name to the band it just it doesn't play well to me it doesn't i don't get scared this is not death metal you know to me this is this is bullshit (laughs) (laughs) and then they go and do this the shit that they do a few years later well yeah then you know what you deserve the shit that you get the fact that they did what they did, you could t- just tell there was something about them that did just, they weren't scrupulous guys. And so, you know, screw them. You know, <laughs> that's enough talking about them. <laughs> we do have to mention the last album that was released in t- 2014. Uh, so they did return to form after breaking up in 1996. Um, you know, they, they, they went away from the garbage that they did in Promise. Uh, this album features a different singer, Ed Webb, and uh, Mike Mazzanetto on drums, replacing, uh, let's just say replacing Bill Andrews, because let's just ignore that that, <laughs> that Promise ever existed. <laughs> and uh, so at this point, uh, Rick Ross and Terry Butler are the only original members that are in the band. Um on this album. And what's really interesting though, is that Rick Ross left the band after Cam Lee returned. And so did Terry Butler. And now the only members of the band that were from the original lineup are Michael Borders who returned, who was only appeared on the 1986 demos and Cam Lee. So no members of the 2004 lineup were that released their last album are currently in the band. How, how that's, how weird. is this not like a weird legal situation, you know, with, with, with the, who owns the name, you know, obviously that's a good question. Yeah. You know, I mean, this, this to me, this is not 
it's not even a real band anymore. I mean, how how is it that you know you release an album and then three years later nobody from the, from that album is in the band anymore? But yet the people that used to be in the band, or one guy that used to be in the band, and another dude who was on a demo tape thirty freaking years ago is now in the band. Hey, come on, <laughs> just hang it up and play something else. Seriously, yeah. <laughs> just, don't call yourself massacre. Call yourself dead. Because you, that's what you are. You, 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 it's, a, it's a fucking dead band. I'm sorry. It sounds like I'm picking on them. I am. I am. Sorry. Uh, I mean, it's just one of these things. I'm, I'm on a rant. It's, it's, it's terrible. It's terrible. I mean, did you did you listen to the album? The twenty. I did. It's, it? it's better than the the earlier stuff. To be honest, it's better than the um, promise. It, for sure. I, promise it's just bad i don't <laughs> i don't have another way to say it it's just bad all right screw um, <laughs> all right so moving on <laughs> to autopsy which was a band that kind of formed out of death uh due to the split up between chuck and chris reifert at one point um Chuck decided he was no longer satisfied living where he was, was, and Chris decided he could not move away. And I'm struggling to remember if that was from uh, from California or from Florida, but regardless, they were in one state. Uh, they were working together, and Chuck decided to move, and Chris wasn't willing, and therefore they split ways. Didn't Chuck um, go to like Canada or something like that briefly? You know, I'd have to watch. There, there's a documentary on death, which is really excellent. I'd have to watch it again because I, I don't remember all the specifics. But uh, yeah, in eighty, well, it was in eighty six that that Chuck moved to Toronto. Okay, gotcha. and he he joined uh, the Canadian band Slaughter, not Mark's band. <laughs> <laughs> That's and funny. then and then he he basically quickly came back and and uh, to continue death at that point. Gotcha. Well, th- this would have been after that because it would have been after the 1987 release. Mm-hmm. So, regardless, um, Chris continued on with death metal, and uh, he formed a band called Autopsy, uh, and this was in Concord, California. Uh, Chris would be the the lead singer and drummer, which is always to to me that's always an interesting combination, much like Don Henley uh, from the Eagles that sings and drums. Uh, I've always found that interesting, um, but they would they would play from 1987 to 1995, and then again reform in 2008 and go on from there. Um, in 1989, they released Severed Survival. Uh, to me, this is their best album. It's it's got Steve DiGiorgio as a a session musician. So we mentioned that we would talk about him again. Um, the the rest of the band was was kind of set in place they just didn't have a basis uh this was really f- heavily focused on gore and horror and cannibal corpse entombed and dismember cite this as the album that really influenced them um and i and i can understand why if you if you listen to this album you can kind of hear where it it came from with scream bloody gore um, but also it does seem like kind of like that blueprint of what bands like cannibal corpse would do. So, uh, you'll, you'll see with autopsy, a lot of their music is really, uh, gore based and, uh, continued in that direction. And 
they really never left that 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 lane. They stayed in it their entire career. Uh, did you listen to to much of them? I, you know, I going heard. Into this? I heard Severed Survival today, and uh, it, I can see where where Cannibal Corpse and and them get that you know the vocal thing from because. Yeah. It's really guttural. Yes, it's, it's re- very it, it's very guttural. Um It's 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 almost like a I don't know a really better way to say this. It's almost like really wet vocals. Like where you hear it <laughs> down in like like you hear almost like the saliva and the blood you know coursing like it's it's really guttural. Yes. It's weird. <laughs> it, it, it is. It, I mean, the music is not horrible. It, it's it, it, to me, it would be so much better if there was understandable lyrics. Um, you know, but <laughs> it's it, it is what it is. I mean, these bands that that's the whole thing about. And this this to me, when I first thought about what death metal was, this to me is what death metal is. This style, this the guttural. It's you know so deep you can't. It it it's beyond your asshole. You know that's how deep it is. <laughs> <laughs> you know it goes so far into the ground that you you can't really understand it. And that's and you know what the kids love it and more power to them because you know what someone has to like it. And <laughs> I it's not my thing. Okay, it's not a big deal. You know. It's one of those things where it, it, it appeals to somebody, it appeals to a, a particular core of people, and that's great. Because, the, like I said, musically, it's actually pretty good. It's just when you get to the, 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 the words and the, and, the, and the sound of the vocals, it's not my thing. But I listened to it, and it was like, oh, okay, you know, okay. That's, <laughs> that's all I can really <laughs> say about it, because it's just not my thing at all. And if I can't understand the words... If I have to pull out a sheet just so I could hear the guy say hello, it's it's one of these things where I'm like I don't get it, you know. <laughs> and I'm sorry if I'm if I'm being overly critical in that regards, but um like I said, musically, I mean Chris is a is a talented drummer, you know, and and to be able to do all that and sing, that's that's pretty impressive, you know. Yeah. So <sighs> So what I want to go over real quick um because I don't I, Honestly, I, I don't see that we can stay on this for very long with this this particular band. Mm-hmm. And it, it's nothing against them per se. It's just that they really stayed in one lane, like I said, the whole time. Uh, so they released Mental, Fu- Mental Funeral in 1991, uh, Acts of the Unspeakable in 1992, and Shit Fun in 1995. And so each of these would progress from, like, after the first album, which was really fast and had some really incredible drumming, um, these next albums would really go to a slower plotting pace. This would be kind of the genesis of grindcore and death doom, uh, which is which is really cool in a way that Autopsy had such a huge influence on these genres as well. So you can tell that Chris was a really talented musician, and and I'm very curious what would have happened if he and Chuck had stayed together. Would we have gotten much out of them? Because I don't think they would have meshed and stayed on the same course as each other either. I think this would always be what ha- would have happened. Chris would have, would have wanted to stay into the 
the the uh, more gory aspect of things because that's what interested him. And Chuck would have continued on, so maybe one more album together before they divulged anyway, or diverged, I'm sorry. And um, there's not a lot for me to say here because, again, this is, this like you, this is not really my interest in, mm-hmm. in death metal because it's more of the the gory, gross, you know, kind of stuff, and it's just not what I've always been interested in. But I can see that this band really does have a lasting imprint on a lot of other bands, which is cool. Um, so well, they broke up. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say that, you know, what I can, we, going back to what you were talking about between Chris and, and Chuck, I, I could see, I could see Chris doing leprosy because mm-hmm. it's it just, it's a, just a gradual change um, from one album to the next. But I could, I definitely see them splintering apart when it came to spiritual healing because it, it was, it was definitely in a different direction that Chuck was heading compared to what Chris would eventually do. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, so they would break up in 1995, uh, but they would reform in 2008 briefly and then permanently in 2009 till now. Uh, they re- they released Macabre Eternal in 2011, The Headless Ritual in 2013, Tourniquets, has- Hacksaws, and Graves in 2014. So you can see, again, they never really went in a different direction they continued to go down that uh gore based death metal sound though they did return to the speed of their first album along the way which is which is to me it was better i listened to that that last album from 2014 and i did enjoy it a bit more and an interesting note is that dan lilker who was the original bassist from anthrax uh would actually be a live basis for the band from twenty nine or two thousand nine to two thousand ten, uh, filling in for their their active basis, and I'm not exactly sure the reason why, but uh, I just thought that was kind of a cool connection. You know, I, I mentioned to you earlier today that at some point you got to grow up, and Chris Reifert's fifty two years old, okay, and. That dude still hasn't grown up. <laughs> I I mean I don't have any problem with that. I think I think as long as you're doing something you enjoy and you love, um, it's always going to come out as as genuine. I genuine. True. Yeah, I get that. It's just funny because you know I had mentioned to you you know that somewhere somewhere along the way your your lyrics have to grow up. You have to expand. You have to mature. And these guys' lyrics haven't matured. not one bit they haven't grown up and i mean i guess you know they're they're kind of sometimes again you know even slayer's lyrics matured over the years you know despite the music staying the same the lyrics matured and and you would think something like that would happen but no it didn't happen and it is what it is and and that's one of the things is like i'd rather a band do what they love and stay in their lane and and be happy there um, than them try to do something and it just come off as fake and crappy and disingenuous. But at the same time, they the band has to expect that, that they're going to stay at that same level with that same fan, fan base and they're not going to grow anywhere. It's just that's what to expect. Um, 
because because if you if you don't change if you don't evolve then you're not going to evolve like the world's not going to evolve with you you know they're not gonna, you're not going to develop more of a fan base and i guess some musicians are really just fine with that and more power to them if that's what they they want i mean i i know for instance like a friend of mine he's very happy with where he's at as a as a streamer um but he doesn't have a huge fan base but he likes the smaller community because he feels comfortable with it that doesn't mean that at some point if if things blew up he wouldn't be happier with that uh whereas i have another friend who's a streamer who wants to con- constantly grow and build and and you know really become something huge so um it's it's you know it's a different mindset and if he's happy with where he's at with his career then that's great if he's not then there's a reason that it's not going anywhere i i don't know how these guys make a living if if, if uh, hopefully this is not the only thing they do because they're not obviously now they 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 they're not making a living on this but i i don't know how sticking to this lane they can sit there and, and have a living without having to do something else in the daytime. I don't know. Anyway, more power to um, them. I mean, if that if that's what they want to do, I'm not. I'm who am I to take that away from them? You know. So at least they're not massacre. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So moving on to obituary. Uh, obituary is another band that has a lot of crossover with death and massacre due to some of the, the members crossing over for both bands. Um, they formed in 1984 as executioner in Tampa, Florida. They would stay that with that name until 1986 when they changed it to executioner without the E at the beginning. So just executioner uh, up until 1988. And then in 1989, they would change their name to obituary. Um, in, <clears throat> sorry, they would go from 1984 to 1980. Sorry, sorry, they would go from 1984 to 1997, and then again from 2003 to present. Um, a lot of the members, like I said, would cross over with Death and Massacre. Uh, significant members that people might know would be Alan West, who played in Massacre, and then Six Feet Under, which he formed with uh, Chris Barnes, who was originally from Cannibal Corpse. Um, James Murphy, who would be uh, from Death and Testament, as we mentioned earlier. Terry Butler, who was in both Death and Massacre. And Terry's also uh, in Six Feet Under, isn't he? Terry? Yeah. Uh, he might be. Yeah I, I, yeah, I don't know them as well, to be honest. Um, Frank Watkins, who was uh, in Gorgoroth before his passing. And uh, Steve DiGiorgio filled in for some live shows. So uh, Steve DiGiorgio, Steve again. Jeez. <laughs> he's uh, everywhere. First, <laughs> Sorry. He's everywhere. Uh, the first album they released would be Slowly We Rot. Um, this was the only album with Daniel Tucker on bass. And to me, it's a pretty good album. The, the, uh, the production value kind of suffers a little bit, and you'll see it increase over the next few albums. Uh, but to be honest, I think it's a pretty good album. So, again, musically, I, the, I like these albums. I, I like these songs musically. It's it, what gets me the most is 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 the word is not the words really. I don't care about the lyrics. Um, it's the the, the, the the style of singing. In this one, 
it's it's screaming. It's a little undiscernible, but he would get better as the albums progressed. Um, like I said, musically, I thought they were pretty cool. Um, you know, I, I I I'm a I'm fascinated with with fast drumming. I'm fascinated with fast guitar playing. Um, it's super cool to me to and to see how these guys put this all together. It's it's pretty neat. Um, you know, subject matter. Eh, you know, I got to deal with it. If I if I'm gonna listen to this, but um, I thought it was a pretty good record. Uh, it it definitely lacked in production, which got better over time. But it's definitely something you could see that there's there's something there with this band. Oh, for sure, and that really carried over into uh, Cause of Death. This was the only album that featured James Murphy, who would replace Alan West for just one album. Uh, Frank Wa- Frank Watkins would replace Daniel Tucker on bass and continue with them until his passing. Um, actually, he would leave in 2009, and he passed away in 2015. Uh, so he did not feature on that last album uh, before that. But um, cons- this is really considered like a really significant album in death metal history. Uh, it, it, it's one of those albums that, uh, that a lot of musicians cite as a huge influence. And one really funny note about this is that the cover art was actually originally intended for Sepultura's Beneath the Remains, and they had already approved it for that album, so much so that Igor Cavalera went and got a tattoo of the album cover before the album the record company then shifted and said, this is going to go on the cover of cause of death. And so now he has a, essentially an obituary tattoo on his arm. I'd be pissed. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, he was. Um, He was very angry with the record company, which is rightfully so. Um, In 1992, they would release the end complete Alan West would return on lead guitar, and this lineup would remain until 1997 breakup, and then also appeared on 2005's Frozen in Time. So this would be kind of considered the classic lineup of the band. And the vocals are less distorted uh, artificially here. So in the earlier albums, uh, the last two albums, there there was some artificial distortion going on. This was a little bit more... um, clean and uh not clean but um i get less distorted that's the best way to put it so you could hear his natural voice and a little bit more on the screaming end and that would lead into 2004's world demise this continued kind of more of the plotting speed from the previous album it's uh it not quite as fast as the previous two albums before incomplete um you know, kind of a shift in their tone. And I know you actually had this album, did you not? Yeah, when I was working at the record store in Miami, um, obviously, you know, I love to get my hands on anything and everything that I was given for free. But I also was very particular. I didn't just grab anything. But there was a period of time where I was trying to be experimental. And I'm like, well, you know what? I like metal. So let me hear, let me hear what these guys have to to say. Let me hear what these guys are doing. Because if I'm going to like it, I need to know about it. And this is my opportunity to not pay for something if I don't like it. So I got a, a promo of World Demise. And at first, I'm like, do I like this? Is this good? It sounds good. 
I just could not wrap my head around the screaming vocals. And when I say screaming, it was just like someone taking someone's nuts and twisting them. Okay. (laughs) And that's the way it's like he's screaming in a way that it hurts. Not screaming like, like, you know, Rob Halford, but screaming like it hurts, you know, and not even like a Brian Johnson or Udo kind of way either. It's just, it's really weird. It's the style and and I'm I'm not taking that away from him. That's the style that he sings in, and it works for them. You know, b- people like it, and that's fine. I it was just something I could not wrap my head around because listening to other stuff like you know when you hear Death, it's it's different. The band, it's different when you hear you know something like Autopsy where it's just so guttural. It's different, you know. And knowing yeah. that they're that they're contemporaries of Cannibal Corpse and Six Feet Under, where those vocals are different, the screaming is is it's such a, a distinct difference. It's almost like how Overkill is distinctly different in Thrash because of Blitz's vocal styles. This is like the the he's like the Blitz of death metal, you know, because his his vocals are so different. But it it almost hurts to listen sometimes because you're like. Does, is that natural? Because, you know, like you said, there was some distortion on it. This is natural. He's just, that's just him, you know, and, and God damn, that's got to hurt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can, I can understand that. I, I honestly like the first two albums uh, a lot more than these last couple albums. And, and I can say the same for the next couple too. Um, Back from the Dead in 1997 it's a final album before they break uh, before touring exhaustion. Uh, the bands would or the members of the bands would go on to do a lot of different projects. Like I mentioned, that uh, Alan West would would meet up with Chris Barnes and form Six Feet Under. Uh, so there there was a lot of of they were just kind of tired of doing the same thing and move on. Um, but in 2005, they they reformed, did Frozen in Time. This was the last album to feature Alan West, who would kind of go back to you know focusing on other projects they would bring in ralph santola on lead guitar for the next release executioner's return um this was not a bad album in a way it it kind of was faster like their early material like the first two albums uh so less of the plotting pace um and this was directly a a a reference to their first name the executioner um but Again, this wasn't quite the return that that I would want personally. Uh, the next album, Darkest Day, was the last to feature Ralph Santola and bassist Frank Watkins. Um, like I mentioned earlier, Frank would pass away uh, in 2015 from cancer. Uh, I listened to this album. I wasn't all that impressed. Uh, it's it's unfortunate because this is a band that kind of started as somebody or someone that was very influential in the genre, but uh, just kind of really went away from being, uh, you know, impact players. Um, But they would return in 2014 with Inked in Blood. It was the first to feature Kenny Andros on lead and then Terry Butler on bass, who's been their their bassist ever since. Uh, To me, this was the best album since... uh, their second album, to be honest, uh, this this was you know kind of more of a return, and I think there was a lot of heart behind it because now you had somebody that was really strong in the field of 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 uh, uh, death metal 
in Terry Butler with his with his history with multiple bands we've mentioned before. Um, but also the band was really kind of making their their last plea to subsist through Kickstarter. The the band actually uh, put their put their funding on uh, Kickstarter and tried to get fans to support them to release this album and they did and to me like i said it was one of their better releases because i think it was like this was their last hurrah if if they were going to continue you know when i listened to world demise going all the way back to them to that album there was there was a sense in the business that they were pretty much done um, and they would come out with an album three years later. It was almost like, you know, th- there was two year break in between, you know, uh, World Demise and the, and the song, the album that came out before it. And then three years and then they were done after that because they were burnt out. Um, and then to come all the way back and release these other albums, what I, what I like about them is that musically they're a little bit better. I guess you could say mm-hmm. to some degree. You you mentioned how an executioner's return it kind of was a little faster. Uh, I'm wondering if you know, and I haven't had I haven't given it you know that much of a of a of a once over or anything. But I'm wondering if when they the reason they put executioner's return is if there was any of those songs were kind of like left over from back in the day, you know, considering that they went from being relatively mid paced. To to speeding it up again on that album, so it's it's interesting. The whole crowdfunding I mean, thing, it's possible, yeah, yeah. The whole crowdfunding thing that's in the in the middle twenty tens, you know, or or really from twenty ten on, that's really been a thing for a lot of these bands because of the way the music business has really kind of you know taken a shit. Mm-hmm. You know, bands have a lot of artists have reached out to their fans and said, hey, would you guys mind putting in some money and we'll give you something in return? Yep. You know? And Queensryche did it with their, with, with, when, with, when Todd LaTorre joined the band. The first two albums, even though both of them came out on Century Media and they had a record contract, I think the record contract was more laid out in, in the terms of, hey, you give us an album and we'll, we'll promote it for you. Whereas now I think they're actually getting a little bit of money from the label to to be able to actually finance the album because I haven't heard anything about them, you know, with the with the last album that they put out. I didn't hear anything about that being crowdfunded, but I do know that Queensryche, the 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 full length album that came out in twenty fourteen, I think it was, was was crowdfunded for the most part. So that's become a thing. You know, yeah. and and it's cool. It works. You know, I I don't have a problem with it. Um, if if you, you get something in return, you get signed stuff. You get a lot of memorabilia out of it. So that's pretty cool. You know, it's it's something that's had to be done in a lot of fields in the last few years because the it's it's a changing world. It's a changing mindset. Um, even comic book artists have have started doing. Uh, crowdfunding to kind of get out of the control of the comic book companies and and for artists to have more control over their product that they're putting out and i think that's a good thing 
to, and I think this is a good example in a way because it is a it is a good album uh, per se. I I, th- I think it was it was a decent album. I would I I would rather say I guess, um, and I even liked 2017 Obituary even more. Um, I think the vocals were really powerful on that release, and it to me it's one of the best releases that they've ever put out. So it it's pretty impressive. So moving on, we're going to move on to uh, one we're going to just talk about very briefly, and that's Necrophagia. And I think we just have to mention them because they they were one of the early uh, uh, bands that that formed uh, during the the death metal scene. However, they weren't around for very long. Uh, they only had one release in the 80s, and that was in 1987. They released Season of the Dead. Uh, to me, it, you know, I see the impact that it had. Um, you know, it was pretty pretty big on the tape trading scene uh, with their demos and, and this album. And actually the next album they were supposed to release, but it got it got shelved due to the band breaking up but it did appear on the tape trading scene. Um, but this album to me, it's just not very polished. It, it they have an intro on the first track. That's half the track of is, is, I think it's three minutes of, of just ambient sounds before the actual song starts. Uh, there's a lot of aspects of it. That, and I know that there was a huge fan base for this in in Ohio that that where they started uh but to me it was just kind of an outlier it's it, you know they have an impact on the scene and i think they're definitely worth talking about uh but i don't know how much we can really talk about them just because the of the the small footprint they had but one really interesting note to bring up is in 1998 the band would reform and and that was due to the insistence from Phil Anselmo, who was a big fan and friend of uh, Frank Pucci, also known as Killjoy, the lead singer. Uh, he pushed him to kind of get back into the music in- industry and actually actually join the band playing under the, the pseudonym Anton Crowley, which is kind of kind of interesting for a guy that had a, a whole nother career in Pantera to kind of take back seat to pushing his friend to return and do something. So really good on Phil to, to do that. And, and not only that, but Phil was playing guitar on that. Yeah. He wasn't singing or anything. He, he was the, he was in the background. Yeah. And that, that's pretty cool. Um, you know, I, I, I gave it a once over and it's interesting. It's definitely, you know, uh, almost a little thrashy to me. Uh, in, in, for, for, for the most part, um, vocals, little different, rough, you know, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. but I can see where the influence is at and that's, you know, that's all you need to know really when it comes to the fact that this band had some influence. It came out around the same time as all the other ones did in the, in the late, you know, the mid to late eighties. So, yep. It, yeah. They they would, oh, go on. No, no. So it was just one of those things where, you see where the influence comes at, but you know, for one thing or reason or another, they did not go beyond that first album, and you know, it wasn't until much later that they came back. and And you almost wonder why, in some cases, but obviously, you know, in this particular case, 
you have a very influential person in Phil Anselmo telling you, hey, let's do this, man. Come on. And they do it, <laughs> you know. And, hey, shit. Now, now, now I've got a day job or a night a nighttime job, you know, so it's not bad. Yeah. And and uh, they would release four more albums from 2003 to 2014. Unfortunately, uh, Pucci would pass away in 2018 and the band would end. Um a lot of a lot of uh you know friends and and uh other musicians would reach out and you know uh, he had an impact on the on the genre and definitely someone we needed to mention uh but the last band we're going to talk about tonight is morbid angel and they're they're actually a band that I'm a pretty big fan of I've I've listened to them a lot over the years uh significant members that you might know would be uh Trey Azagtoth who's who's really the driving force of the band um only member that's been around the entire career uh david vincent of terrorizer and pete sandoval of terrorizer um david vincent was the original singer and bassist that a lot of people would 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 most know uh another would be steve tucker who was the second singer of the band uh, the first release in 1989, Altars of Madness, is definitely considered one of the the most celebrated albums in death metal history, um, and most influential. Um, David Vincent is cited as one of Chuck's influence on vocal style, and uh, the grindcore scene in in a, as a whole. Uh, the satanic and occult lyrics were a big influence on the black metal scene. And this was this was before their first release. Even um, the, this is this is a landmark album. Um, I don't know if you if you really listen to it too much, but one thing that 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 interested me about it is that Trey actually says that he listened to Pink Floyd up into you know re- writing it this album. That was his biggest influence on writing this album. I would never have guessed that. Because it doesn't sound like it. I actually the mu- musically this album is pretty cool. Uh, I listened to it. I was like, hey, this is not bad. Um, you know, lyrically it's not my thing, but you know, I get past that real easy because you know I don't really when when something that's lyrically not my thing, I can look past the lyrics and say, does this sound cool? And it sounded cool. And I think I mentioned to you the other day. I listened to it for the, for the first time in a long time, and I'm like. I don't remember the 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 vocals being the way they were. I was it was much more understandable than I thought it was going to be, um, mm-hmm. and so uh, I don't have this one, but I'm almost positive somewhere in my collection is Covenant, but I'm not absolutely positive. It's either Covenant or Domination or maybe even both, but that's because it's one of those things where I'm like, oh, I can get this for free. Let me do that, or heavily discounted as far <laughs> as you know, like employee discount. So. Yeah, um, I'm almost positive it's Covenant, and I got it. For, I'm pretty sure I got it for free because Giant Records is associated or was associated with Warner Brothers, and I was getting a lot of Warner Brothers stuff at that time. So I have think that's the one I have. I don't remember it. Um, like I said, when I listened to Alter Madness, I'm like, this is really cool. I, I was I was pleasantly surprised at how how good it was from not hearing it for such a long time so and expecting something different 
Yeah, I I think it's an absolute uh, just classic album. Um, the next album that was released was 1991, Blessed Are the Sick. Uh, this was the last to feature Richard Brunel on guitar. Um, it has t- a really markedly slower uh, speed and classical undertones. Uh, it's inspired by Mozart. So you can see Trey is kind of picking a certain genre or, or musician or band, and that's kind of like where he's finding his influence for each of these albums. And I really like this album as well. In fact, I, I really enjoy the the first four albums from the band uh, as as a whole. I think there was a lot of uh, progress and a lot of maturity that they gained over the next couple albums, but I really like this one. All right, so moving on to Covenant. Uh, this was really their breakthrough album. It was the first one on giant records. Uh, and this was, this really got a lot of widespread appeal because it was featured on MTV's headbangers ball. Uh, this is considered a landmark album in the genre due to its influence and widespread coverage. That's, that's kind of the biggest factor here is it's not necessarily the, the quality of the music per se that made it a big influence, but the fact that, an album of this type got so much coverage was the big deal. Like I'm, I like I mentioned, you know, I think that's the reason why I have this in my collection because it was on Giant. Giant itself is not a big label, oddly enough. It's very ironic <laughs> that Giant is a small label, but they did have major label distribution. They were part of the Wea brand, and so that in and of itself right there puts you in on, on essentially on a major label. And so for them to get that kind of distribution for that kind of music, yeah, it was huge for them. And for it to sell 150,000 copies, like it sold, you know, there's no denying that it had some impact on, on the scene itself and in an impact on the band. Cause it gave them, you know, it gave them some money to do some stuff with, and oh, for sure. You know, so it it gave them their career because you know you get the first two albums. Yeah, you're either going to be on this really low level or you can go up to a bigger level. And so they went from being probably an opening act in a club to being a headline act in a club type of thing, you know, or maybe even a theater per se. And that, that, yeah. that's a big difference when when you're talking about this kind of music. So that's that's pretty cool. Yeah. In the next album, Domination from 1995, uh, while that would be the last uh, album to feature David Vincent on vocals until 2011's Elude Divinum and Senus, uh, it was the first album to feature Eric Rutan of Hate Eternal. Uh, he would play the second guitar on that album. Uh, and it was the last to be on Giant Records. And you could see things were changing in the 90s and they weren't as interested in carrying... Uh, death metal bands um and oh one last comment i gotta i gotta mention about covenant was the god of emptiness actually appeared on beavis and butthead as well so uh, that's kind of another factor in why it was so big because it did have that pop culture appeal um so domination had more clean and melodic music so you could see there was a little bit of change in the direction that they were going uh but it had a lot of maturity to it as well. And this was the last that they would do with, like I said, with David Vincent. And it would kind of cause a big 
change in their style. And Trey at that point really took over as the main uh, driving force of the band. Uh, 1998, they would release Formulas Fatal to the Flesh. And they would shift the vocals away from the satanic aspect to more of the old ones, the 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 gods, you know, kind of changing to more mythological kind of thing. Uh, although interestingly enough, FFF would be a reference to six 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 as F is the sixth letter of the alphabet. So they still kind of maintained that that aspect of it, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and. Uh, this had extremely fast drum work and that's kind of like the standout aspect of this album to me is the, the drum work is insane. I have to check that out. I'll be the judge of that. (laughs) (laughs) If you, if you haven't listened to it, it's, it's worth a listen. If you, if you, if you're one of those stalwarts that says like, I'm not going to listen to it if it's not the original singer. I think it's worth a listen. I'm not as big of a fan of, of Steve Tucker as I like David Vincent. Um, but he left for a reason because he was interested in doing more industrial music. Isn't he a country and singer now, David? I think so. I think he did a country album, yeah. It's like satanic but he, country. <laughs> but he does He does um, another band that that's called I Am Morbid that kind of uh, – ventured off from their 2011 album the band would would kind of break up again and we'll mention that in a, a minute but um he does a, a band called i am morbid now which is uh you know basically a tribute to his own band that he used to play in so <laughs> interesting um so moving on to 2000's gateways to annihilation um it has a slower pace than the previous album. Uh, it's the final album to feature Eric Rutan, who did not appear on Formulas of the Flesh, but he returned uh, for a second album at this point. And um, the lyrics, they're, they're done by Steve Tucker um, as well as Trey. So his first, uh, his first forte, uh, foray into doing lyrics. And it's not a bad album. It just, for me, it doesn't do a whole lot for me. Um, and kind of the same with 2003's Heretic. It's it's the last to feature Pete Sandoval on, on drums. Uh, he had a back injury and had to take some time off, and uh, he just never returned to the band. Hmm. Um, so this was the final Steve Tucker album before his return in 2015 after David Vincent re- rejoined the band for a while. Um Carl Sanders from Nile actually has a, a solo on here at the end of God of Our Own Divinity. And uh, this is the last album on Earache. Now, one thing that's kind of interesting about that lineup is that I actually saw Nile, Morbid Angel, and there was another band I saw that night um, all on the same ticket uh, many years ago. And I actually got to meet David Vincent and uh sit sit down you know smoke a cigar and kind of chill and 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 uh listen to him talk about music for a while so that was a really cool experience mm. i bet dave dave's probably a very interesting dude he is uh i didn't do a lot of talking let's just say that <laughs> <laughs> he uh he had a lot to say um in 2011 
they would reform with David Vincent. Uh, he would bring on a, a young drummer named Tim Young. Sounds funny, young drummer, Tim Young. Huh? <laughs> um, and uh, he was a really good drummer. Uh, I think a lot of people didn't really like this album because it brought on uh, it, some inclusion of, of uh, industrial metal. And it really was divisive among the fans. Um, this was the only album to feature Destructor on second guitar. And it took a long time to put together. From 2006 to 2011, uh, they wrote this album. And honestly, it's not bad. But if you don't like industrial metal, you're probably not going to like it. Yeah. And I think that's just such a huge change for the band that it just it didn't work and David Vincent left and Steve Tucker was brought back for the final release in 2017 and that's Kingdoms Disdained um Scott Fuller replaces Tim Young on drums and it's a bit of a return to form from the previous releases I you know I couldn't find a lot to really enjoy about it it's it's just another case of of a band kind of finding their lane, staying in it and never really progressing. And when they did try, like we mentioned at the top of the episode, it just was so much of a change that it really turned people off. And I think that's one of those things like we mentioned with death, sometimes you just kind of got to make some gradual changes and that's how you keep the fans with you. Yes. That you <sighs> Again, you know, you can you could choose to go down the same lane and do the same stuff, or you can, you know, gradually go and, and bring the fans with you. But when you when you sit there and you know you're driving down the lane, all of a sudden it's like, you know what, I'm gonna make a left turn here, and you're, you're gonna lose you're gonna lose some fans, you know, unless it's good, then you can gain new fans. But if it's not good. No bueno. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. So that's the last band that we're going to talk about tonight for the early death metal bands. We're going to, we're going to in the future revisit death metal. Um, but what's, what's interesting here and why we kind of decided to stop this here is the fact that really everything that followed after ventured off into a lot of different sub genres. So, most of the, the th- like the thrash scene would kind of bring on groove metal, but there wasn't like 50 different versions of thrash. Uh, you know, that thrash is thrash. Same with hair metal. You know, we talked about the glam scene. There, There's not technical glam and funeral glam and death glam, you know. <laughs> there's there's really just, for the most part, glam music. And there's, there's variations, you know, bands that sound different than each other. But death metal is one of those that really diverged into a lot of different genres, including blackened death, blackened death doom, uh, melodic black death, war metal, brutal death metal, technical death metal, death thrash, death grind, death core, and so on. And so if we're going to address death metal going forward, I think it's better that we kind of focus more on those individual genres. The, the, the thing that separates, you know, like 
like you said before, there's no thrash or, or separate, you know, there's no thrash subgenres, right? The reason there's so many subgenres for death music or death metal is because of the vocals. You know, you can, you can, you, you, you easily can sit there and say, okay, this is melodic death metal. Musically, it's completely different, you know, mm-hmm. um, but there, there are, tiny aspects that have some similarities you know maybe you know they'll throw a blast beat in here but then there's speed to it but the 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 similarities all surround the vocals for each of those you know death and roll really you know rock yeah. it's rock and roll but it's death death vocals so they call it death and roll you know and that you know death doom is it's it's black sabbath with growly vocals so there you go death doom so that that's how you know th- that evolved and yet there's a lot to cover on that and that's a lot for for another day (laughs) all right so i believe that brings us to our big four tonight it does bring us to our big four tonight and i'm gonna go first because i know that you want to hear what i have to say (laughs) yeah I'm, i'm interested for sure yeah so our big four tonight is the big four songs by the band death and so since i'm the 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 death newbie i'm going to get to go first today so that you know chris can 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 criticize or be shocked by my songs choices (laughs) (laughs) all right so my first song choice is number four is voice of the soul um we had kind of touched upon it a long time ago in earlier episodes way way back in the day when we started uh when we did instrumental songs like a big four instrumentals so voice of the soul is an instrumental song by death it is an awesome awesome song and it's a beautiful song as myself as a failed guitarist as i like to call myself from time to time i love guitar work of all kind and this one is just so such a beautiful song from beginning to end. It, it's awesome. It's an awesome piece. I love it. It's my number four song. My number three song is a song called Together as One. Uh, that song is the, the main breakdown of the song is literally most of the guitar solo. I really like that because you have this fast part you know, beginning and end and a little bit more of the middle, but right in the middle, it drops into kind of like a breakdown, not a full breakdown, but then it's, it's just got this really nice guitar solo that goes along with it. So I I thought that was pretty cool. Number two, symbolic. Um, what else can you say? I mean, it's, it's, it's such a, it's a popular song. It's a huge song for death. Uh, it's got a killer riff throughout most of the song and and that's really what brings it in for me but my number one song i think this is one that's going to throw you off okay it's a song called crystal mountain when i heard that song today i was like this song is so cool and the reason being for me is because out of all the songs that i've heard from death this is probably the one that's the most consistent as far as riff and rhythm and melody throughout the song uh, it does have some stops and starts, but not a lot. And, uh, you know, it's got this cool, you know, it's a, it's a, to me, it's a heavy metal song. It's got that gallop that is so famous for heavy metal. And that's really what I like about it. The, the gallop and the consistency of the, of the song itself. 
Um, but what's really cool, and I like the little interesting touch at the end, is it has a, a, an acoustic guitar that blends itself in towards the end of the song as it begins to fade I out. I love that part. Yeah, there's some little touches here and there of, of, a, of an acoustic song. So that is pretty, pretty cool. So those are my big four death songs. All right. Well, it's it's interesting. Let's just say this. Okay. <laughs> so my number, and I'll explain why in a second. But my number four is story to tell off of the sound of perseverance. So this this for me was kind of a toss up between this song and one other song, which I'm not going to mention because we're not doing any honorable mentions. Um, but story to tell, I just absolutely love um, that album. To me, it being that it was supposed to be a Control Denied album, um, just when I first learned that, it shocked me. Because to me, this was such a death album. And it was the, the really just the culmination. Like I mentioned earlier that, that Symbolic was the culmination of their maturity. This even took it further. And Story to Tell, to me, is just the strongest song on that album. Uh, and I I I love um, you know uh, Spirit Crusher and I love some of the others, but this one just something about the riff itself just like speaks to my soul. Uh, for number three is lack of comprehension. Uh, this this song like the lyrics are so important to me because it's just it's basically everything that people say about stuff like death metal encapsulated in one song that it's it's just you know the it's just stupid uh, like the, the the music is just loud and, and obnoxious and and they're just doing it to be aggressive and evil it's lack of comprehension is is throwing all of that out the window and basically telling people to actually listen and think and and be good people it's 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 so interesting that that Chuck was was such a philosopher, you know. He wrote the song "Philosopher," and it's 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 really about himself. Um, it, it's just it's so introspective, and that's what I love about this song. And the little <laughs> you mentioned the little bit of the the acoustic guitar at the end of uh, "Crystal Mountain." Well, there's one thing about this song that I just love, and that's the the drum work at the very end. You can listen to Sean Reinert's drums and the little bit of jazz effects that he does at the very end of the song are just so impressive. And I've talked to, to drummers and they're just mind blown by the what he did there. And it's just, it's so cool. My number two, and it's funny that you said it as your number one, is Crystal Mountain off of Symbolic. I absolutely love this song. Um, it, it made me laugh that you said it would throw me off because... I mean, it's it's my number two. I I freaking love it. Um, Symbolic is such a good album, but there's something about this that the riff on this track is just so killer, and and then the 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 lyrical content, um, you know, him just talking about ignorance, betrayal, uh, evil sh- rearing its face when you don't even see it. You know, it's just. It's so deep, it's so creative, and I just love it. Like, always think, always question things. And that's that's something that I love about Chuck is his lyrics are just so deep. Um, and my favorite track is the opening track off of Individual Thought Patterns. 
uh, overactive imagination. Um, I, the 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 guitar solo in this song is my favorite death guitar solo. Period. I I absolutely love the album. I love the production, the sound of the album, and this was just the best way to lead it off. Uh, I love the lyrics. I love the music. Um, to me, it's my favorite death album, and had to pick it as my number one. Very cool. All right. Well, that wraps things up today for our death metal episode. Remember, if you like what you heard today, be sure to check us out on social media and leave us a comment. Make sure to tune in to the next episode when we spark up another exciting metal debate. On behalf of myself and Kenneth Dean, stay safe and remember, always turn it up to 11. See ya.